to GNT, the podcast from political blog The Groucho Tendency. Hello and welcome to GNT, the politics podcast from the Groucho Tendency. My name is Mike Indian, I'm the blog's editor and author, and Happy New Year, welcome to a new decade, and of course standing before me is a new man, re-emerged from the festive period uh, with many resolutions and predictions for the year ahead. We have the, uh, he is um, South West London's very own Nostradamus, the political soothsayer, the font of all knowledge that is of course Liam Kay. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. (laughs) (laughs) So we we did have a bet about the result of the election. I'll be honest with you, I can't remember what the result was. We actually said we were going to do. I probably should have done that before we started recording. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think last time we were doing our sort of uh, bugbears about the election, weren't we? Mm. And um, it's uh, all done now. So... (laughs) So we're moving both, swiftly on. We both <laughs> thought it was going to be an overall Tory majority. I think it's fair to yes, say. Yes. So you know, I think I think I think I can I think I can remember having a small bet in which you said it might be a home parliament. Yeah, it could and be I, 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 I said Tory majority. So <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I took that bet. <laughs> so this is this really is a new era for British politics, isn't it? We are in a we're back in the speaker pub in Westminster because we like it. It's going to become our home probably for when we do these infrequent infrequent meetups because it's nice and quiet on a Sunday. Yeah. Um, in case people have been living in a cave for the last festive period or have, are still vaguely comatose because this is technically the penultimate day of Christmas. Christmas ends, Advent ends tomorrow, the 6th of January. Yep. What happened um, with the election? Well, massive Tory majority, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> Um, was it a landslide? Yes. Yeah, very it was much a landslide. So. We're going to call it a landslide. So, very yeah. much so. I think. Um, uh, I don't think it could have been that much more comprehensive, could it? Really? No. It was, uh, I mean, um, I was I was on Al Jazeera doing something for the exit poll when it dropped, and I was dumbfounded. And I, giving credit for calling the election result by Alexis Conrad and Talk Radio, and that's. But was it, were you surprised by how big the Tory majority was in the end? Uh, very much so. Um, I, I mean, I expected a majority of some kind. I didn't expect it to be eighty seats. No, I didn't expect it. It's to a nice be number. Like eighty seats is quite a nice number. It's a nice round. The three hundred sixty-five Tory MPs. That's quite a nice sort of round number of you know. Yeah. You know, eighty seat majority is not like one hundred seventy-nine, which is just annoyingly off one hundred eighty from Blair in ninety-seven. And you know the places where they won as well, incredibly, incredibly. Um, I mean, some of them perhaps less surprising if you, I think, lived or travelled to the area. Um, Which you you are from this part of the world, aren't you? You are you are someone who understands you know the Red Wall well because you grew up in the Red Wall. In the Red Wall, which I Uh, I didn't. I'm from a swing seat in Warwickshire. Part part of the Red Wall, which had been previously breached <laughs> it should be said um, but right next to uh, the next door constituency to mine is Yvette Cooper's seat of which um, Normanton Castleford and Pontefract yes and I, th- I think that's very good I can remember working on their local newspaper actually for a bit of work experience mm. uh, way back and I met Yvette Cooper sort of uh, doing that and you, you 
only have to look at the fact she had a something around 14,000 majority uh, coming into the election. Yeah, and it's um, now... A thousand. That says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, and I mean, pe people that I grew up with were spending ages sort of saying a lot of things. The big things that came through based solely on Yvette Cooper's constituency. This is, this is a, you know, a solely, sample. Solely, a sample. solely on this. Um, people did not like the Brexit position and they did not like Jeremy Corbyn. Which was the more significant of the two? Because people in of Labour, that, Labour have talked at one, downplayed the other. In that area, in honesty, the Brexit. But okay. that is partly because of who Yvette Cooper is and the role that she has played in the Cooper Amendment, Cooper Letwin Amendment. Yeah. It's been very, very well publicised. It was a very, very strong... Has it been well received on the doorstep in London, Castleford and Pontefract? No. There's no. been a very, very strong social media campaign to get her out. But she hung on. on yes, she, she hung on. And a lot of the opposition, I think, was around that. But almost certainly, I think it was, it was a difficulty going home, finding anybody who had a good word to say about Jamie Corbyn that wasn't already a member of the Labour Party. So... In a nutshell, based on your experience of one of the seats that, you know, demonstrated how, how the Tories Almost swung, <laughs> you know, how the Tories won this election, what won it for them? What were the key bits that meant that this election wasn't just a narrow victory for Boris Johnson, it was an absolute landslide for him? Um, he wasn't Jeremy Corbyn and his Brexit policy was get it done. So, in, in a nutshell, I don't think people actually know too many of the policies that they actually ran with. Because they, they didn't have any policies to run with, did they? A few bits of public sector investment, you know, doubling the research budget, for example, NHS um, spending going up. But, but you know, I, I will spend money on police officers, I will invest in the NHS, I will get Brexit done. School free things. People spending go up. We, yeah. we can reel them off very simply. This is Blair 97 all over again, five pledge cards. Yeah, it's just, you know, have some basic things. No need to give too many details. No. And I mean, like, if you try to do the same with the Labour Party manifesto, in all honesty, you have a look at it and you'll be going, oh, well, free broadband, nationalise all the utilities, and then you start reeling off a long, long list of about 20, 30 different major policies. And, you know, there wasn't anything, I think, that actually made people go, no, I definitely... I think they've got a very good programme of government. There were a lot of eye-catching policies, but yeah. not an actual... Shiny trinkets. Yeah. But, you know, free bus travel was actually, you know, to be fair, free bus travel is a very sensible policy. Yeah. I will say that, you know, for poor parts of the country... Nationali Nationalising the trains, I think, is a sensible yeah, policy. One of the first ones they said. I think it's questionable whether or not um, some of the other policies work in tandem with that. I think if you are making the plan of, if, if you're saying that everything's completely fully costed, uh, only five the top 5% will pay for it. And if you are suggesting that, what is it, £800 billion worth of spending, of which, you know, that's the Conservative estimate. Nearly a on, trillion pounds worth of spending. Yeah, there were... Some, I mean, like some of the figures that seemed off to me and you know it, saying that you fully costed it yourself Let, let's I be mean, fair there were, a lot, know, there were a lot of spending projects made in this election this was the first time in over a decade a spending election yes I mean I think it's worth pointing out that the um, Institute for Fiscal Studies 
criticised both of them. Um, yeah, they did say that Labour's manifesto would amount to a greater transformation of the state yes. than any time since the start of the 1980s. And they also explicitly criticised the, um, the top 5%. They said there would almost certainly be tax increases for certainly the middle classes. Yeah. So people would be paying more tax. And yeah. I, they weren't very honest about that. Equally with the Conservatives, I think it's, it's very, very key to say that the spending pledges that they are proposing takes us back to 2010 levels. Inflation has happened since then, so 2010 levels, and demand has gone up on I mean, a lot of these services. We're getting 20,000 extra police officers, but Tories have taken 21,000 out in the last 10 years. Yes. So there's a net loss of 1,000 officers there. And the population has actually increased. Exactly. Since. And violent so crime has gone up. You probably need about 25,000, in all honesty. And it depends where they go as well. I mean, you know, not every part of the country going to benefit from those offices. London will probably get the greatest share of them. You know, 130-something homicides in London last year is a good example of that. I, yeah, I mean, you look at their promises. I mean, a lot of it is, like, you know, like NHS spending, getting it up to around about 2010 figures. The population is an ageing population. The amount that they need is probably another few billion on top of what they're actually promising to keep up to date with the actual demand at the moment, let alone increase um, service. Uh, the Tories are not promising enough money to do that. No. The problem that you've got is that Labour, instead of focusing on these areas and playing to their strengths, mm. were spending time talking about uh, a four-day week and a uh, you know repaying all the pensions of... The Waspy women, yes. which is £68 billion. Pounds. And... You know, things like nationalising broadband, you know, which I think I was speaking, I was speaking to somebody um, in Blackpool actually on a on a visit recently for um, part of my uh, part of my job. And um, I should say were... there is a Dachshund walking around under our table at the moment, which is absolutely adorable. <laughs> How's a dog? How is a dog that small? That is absolutely sweet. Um, speaking of things that are absolutely <laughs> small and tiny, by the way, yeah. uh, number of Lib Dem MPs. They are, they are now the Daxon of Parliament. They, 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 they most, most, most certainly are, and it's, it's, um, it's quite, quite surprising considering that they, they were thinking it'd be 50, 60, 70. 100 seats, they said at one point. We could win 100 yeah. seats, and they won 11. 11. Yeah. And Jo Swinson lost hers. However, we have to say this, she was widely just sure had a bad campaign. The Lib Dems were the only party, two things to their credit, one, they were the only party to promise a hypothecated tax increase in any of their spending pledges, to be honest about the need to raise taxes yeah. for health spending. An old Lib Dem adage, but still something that none of the other parties did. And um, they put on a million extra votes yeah. in 2017. This sort of biggest share in, in any party's increase of vote was the Lib Dems, but they lost an MP. So that says something about the election system to me, I, I, the electoral system. I I think I think the issue. I mean, they lost quite a few MPs if you take into uh, mm. account um, the defectors. But they, I think the key th the key thing with their campaign is I think they made two very serious errors at the beginning mm. and struggled to be able to row back from it. And the two errors were essentially: I can be the prime minister, no, you can't, Joe. And, um, the other one was, you know, you look in hindsight, and 
to be honest, I, I was in favour of them making this particular policy thing and, you know, a bit of a mea culpa on that. Um, but the suggestion that they should just cancel Brexit. Oh, the revoke, yeah, we talked about the revoke stance quite a bit before which, Christmas. Which looked very good, I think, if you were comparing it to the Labour Party stance and you were making a case for Remainers. Until I think it got into an election and... I think the realisation came that actually quite a lot of Remainers of what would be kind of, you know, the soft Remainers who are probably Tory-leaning perhaps yeah. weren't fundamentalists over the issue. They're not going to be drawn to the Lib Dems for a revoke stance, are they? No. They may have been, with, they may have been drawn there for other Brexit policies. But it's, 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 it's done now, so I don't think there's any need to sort of go into what other policies may or may not have been. But um, turnout stayed about the same, you know, we talked about yeah. two-thirds of the country voted, that's roughly in line with 72% in the referendum, 68% in the 2017 general election, so yeah. roughly the same number of people turned out to vote, there's been a slight shift, you know, the thing that Labour will talk about a lot is that there were more, some Labour MPs like Geraint Davis talk about the fact that there were more votes cast for pro-Remain parties as a whole. The SNP, of course, did very well on election night mm. too. They were the other big winners, but let's be honest, the night did well to the Conservatives. You know, yeah. they, they are the ones who knew, firstly, how to win and knew where to win. Yeah. Labour had forgotten the electoral background. Battleground had changed in 2017. The seats like Bishop Auckland, like Workington, like Rother Valley, like Blythe Valley, like Bolsover, were now in play. Yeah. And like the most bizarre thing is, in, in many ways, there was... Labour focused on trying to win a majority, which, I mean, I think you've got to sometimes recognise the political landscape. Yeah. Um, you know, should they have been spending so much money trying to get Ian Duncan Smith's constituency in north of London, Chingford? Um, George was 5,000 there, so yeah. not unassailable. Or a lot of money in Uxbridge trying to get Boris Johnson's seat, 5,000 majority, when they, they lost Bolsover. And, and they only took one seat in this election, yeah. which is Putney. La, I mean, Laura Pidcock up in um, Durham, uh, you know, seen as one of the lights of the Corbyn East the, the great hope of the Corbynite left, yeah. Uh, is now out of a job. Yeah. She'll be back she, 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 she probably will be, well, depending probably on that. Uh, circumstances but um, they'll find another seat for her I think there'll be a by-election at some point in the next few years and they'll try and get her back in yeah but 7,000 majority she had coming in I think that was down anyway on something that her predecessor which yeah. I think was um, Pat Glass I think yeah. was her predecessor had and she managed to and she also lost a council seat up there as well did, did you see the open letter she wrote shortly after her yes um, yes I did actually yes what self-serving codswallop I'm sorry you know there's a particularly the bit about not wanting to blame Jeremy Corbyn here to, to me I think the most frustrating thing I think has been since this election has been every, I mean I've seen four Labour defeats in a row now from three different Labour leaders so Brown Meliband and Corbyn and on twice and on and in 2010 and 2015 Brown and Miliband took responsibility for the defeat as the leader of the party. You know, as the, as the figurehead, as the person in charge, as, as the Prime Minister in Brown's case. Corbyn, in 2017, claimed to have won the election even though they had came second, and now they claim to have won the argument. 
you know, even though they lost, they, they have a number of MPs that are lo is lower than 1983. I, I, I feel in many ways, actually, that a lot of the country was in line with what, I mean, they have won the, the argument on austerity. I don't think the Conservatives are quite promised. Um, they have promised an end to austerity. I don't think they will quite deliver if they actually Spending do their manifesto. Spending will still be net lower, I think. Yes. They're, 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 they're doing targeted bits to relieve certain areas, but still a lot of spending. They haven't undone a lot of the austerity that George Osborne and Philip Hammond baked into the future spending plans. Yes. But I think the argument that austerity has gone too far and should be rode back to some extent, various different extent. I think all the main parties had agreed, uh, had accepted that. Yeah. The argument had been won. Yeah. Which begs the question of if you win the argument, you have policies that most of the Labour Party policies in isolation were popular. Yeah, most of them. If you have those two things, what is the issue that is making people not vote for your party? And yes, Brexit was down to. I mean, that, that the Brexit policy was. I, th I think I've said it a number of times before, but was essentially, uh, we will delay for longer. You'll have another vote on it. Um, we don't really have a particular plan for what happens if you vote for Brexit again. Um, the referendum that we were offering will be between our version of Brexit and Remain. Which we didn't know what that would be even at that point. And they were, they were most probably not going to campaign for it, which makes you think... And whilst the Prime Minister of the sounds, day remained neutral. It sounds... To, to any yeah, it's, it's, it sounds like a stitch up. Yeah, and it also people, sounds like more uncertainty, more delay. Which yeah, a lot of people clearly, not the majority of people, but a lot of people in key seats didn't like. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm 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 a Remainer. I would prefer to stay in the European Union, but I think. But you're not you're not crying into your beer here, are you? Uh, I mean, you know, you're, you're pretty being pretty circumspect. Let's be honest here about. Yeah, I I think you've got to accept that. Now the argument's been had. Hmm. It's a past tense. It's and perhaps the mistake made by a lot of people, including you know my myself, was to focus on the whether or not we stay in the European Union rather than the actual deal. But that's what that's essentially what this election was about. Was it was about whether or not we had Brexit? Yeah, that's why the second referendum was proposed in the first place. I mean, only the Lib Dems were brave, read, stupid enough to commit to a revoke position. I mean, and it, I, went, it went down like a lead balloon. I, I find it hard to be sympathetic to large selection sections of ardent remainers because there was a whole year last year when, to, from right when Theresa May lost her confidence vote to when Boris Johnson called the election, pretty much 12 months, almost 12 months of the day, where opponents of Brexit had every opportunity to put forward an alternative and a year is a long time yeah you know and there were plenty of alternatives they had two rounds of indicative votes we had you know Prime Minister's own Brexit deal uh, the previous Prime Minister's Brexit deal rejected three times by Parliament Boris Johnson came in tweaked it a bit and was able to get it through now that wasn't tricking people that's not skullduggery it was the fact that it was it was as we've been saying for the last year on this yeah. podcast and everywhere else it was the only deal on the table now yeah. Labour would have been better off putting Boris Johnson's deal to a referendum, I submit, you know, saying, look, we are behind you, 
because that way I don't think that's a massive move from their 2017 position there is a Brexit deal now we don't agree with it but we will put it to the people yeah. that's legitimate I think if they don't agree with it that's not depriving anyone of any sovereignty but saying you'd have a new deal entirely not telling people what it is saying the Prime Minister would remain neutral and then having a referendum which you have to legislate for wait at least six months to hold yeah. when we rushed into the last one that was never a good idea I, there was there's very little I mean I don't specifically remember any offer being made of we will back your deal as long as a referendum is baked into they were that bit, deal they were better off doing that, in would. which the deal is put to the country and Remain is on the ballot. Yes, Remain and Boris and they could they, they, they could have allowed the Conservatives to decide whether or not they wanted no deal on the ballot themselves. Mm. I think it would I think Theresa May would most probably try to avoid a no deal on the ballot. Yeah. Um, but the problem sometimes if you get a deal that is not the deal that's perfect and is the deal that is on the table with a Prime Minister who is actually fairly reasonable to deal with is they get replaced by somebody who is going to be... It's ruthless. Well... Gives no quarter. If that's the reason that Theresa May goes out of office, then the next Prime Minister is going to be elected into office on the basis of sorting out that issue that she couldn't sort out. And from the moment Boris Johnson started his leadership campaign, he knew he wanted an election. And yeah. this, is, this was going to be the result. Yeah. Because ultimately he had a clear slogan, he's able to run on a paper-thin manifesto. And don't get me wrong, the next five years are going to be difficult, but we don't know what the Tories are going to do as well. Now, yeah. this isn't to say that people have been naive in giving their vote to the Tory party, but what we have to acknowledge is that we do not really know what sort of Prime Minister Boris Johnson is going to be now. He can be whatever sort of PM he wants, but I think a populist one with a nationalistic bent is what we can probably expect from him, given how he wrapped in this general election campaign. Yeah. Um, I think we should very quickly move on to discuss Labour. Yeah. Now, in many ways, people might be saying, well, why are we spending more time talking about the Tories? Because Labour have 203 MPs now, 202 if you don't count the Speaker, who isn't technically a Labour MP. So, the Labour leadership election is kicking off. Yeah. We will at last be rid of Jeremy Corbyn's leader. Now, you may be a fan of Corbyn, and if you are, you're probably feeling quite disenfranchised by the result. But he is going. So, who's in the field to replace him? Uh, a number of names. Um, the, the key two. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a number of very good candidates that have come which forward. Is, which is which, various, very, various different wings of the party as well. It should yeah. be said. Um, no, from the Blair right wing, it's fair to say the right of the party probably isn't very really represented. It would depend how you take Jess Phillips, I think. But, yeah. but I think you look at the. the the current candidates and there's two front runners who I would expect to be in the final ballot. So and these are um, Sir Keir Starmer, the Shadow Brexit Secretary, and Rebecca Long Bailey, who is the Shadow Business Secretary. Both elected um, in 2015. One is MP for Salford Nichols. That's um, Rebecca Long Bailey, and Sir Keir is the MP for Hope and St Pancras and the former Deputy Director of Public, sorry, the former Director of Public Prosecutions. Yes, and. You know, one, one of the rare people actually that has uh, got elected to Parliament already having a knighthood. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I, you look at those two, but, you know, there's, there's, there's other sort of, you know, Emily Thornbury is running, uh, yeah. Shadow Foreign Secretary. Very capable dispatch box performer. Uh, Clive Lewis, uh, the Norwich MP. Looney Lefty and Looney Lefty former journalist. Yeah. Uh, you've also got Lisa Nandy, uh, the Wigan MP. 
who has been very, very vocal um, in the need for Labour to focus on towns like Wigan yeah. and, and she, like various she, places across the She's been mocked for it, hasn't she? But actually, she, she's talking. I, I'm impressed by Lisa Nandy. She talks it's, a lot of sense. It's, 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 it's I, I, I think... I think sometimes, you know, if you have a meme because you say something so often, it's actually possibly quite a good thing to but have. These, these, those are the towns that the towns that the Tories lost, though, yes. didn't they? So she knows what she's talking about. Yes. In that sense. And you know, you, you look at other ones. Jess Phillips uh, already already mentioned. I think she's, um, she's the media darling, isn't she, Jess Phillips? You know, she's the one who a lot of people think she's. Re- She's running, I think her own Observer article said she thinks her personality would be enough to draw people in. In my experience, she puts as many people off as she does draw them in, because she is a Marmite personality. Personally, I think she's quite refreshing, but refreshing can also be irritating in overdoses. It should be pointed out as well, though, that people said the same about Boris Johnson, who does have an 80-seat majority. But... Um, He's lucky in his enemies, though, wasn't he, Boris? Let's be honest. Boris is lucky in his enemies. Yes, but... And he also ended the party membership being as naive as they were to overlook his many, many, many failings. And but you know, you can only you can only beat what's on the table, and you knew what was on the table. So when when Jeremy Hunt is your opponent, yeah, so, and, and Jeremy Corbyn, two Jeremys. So who <laughs> who is going to be the next leader of Labour Party? Who is going to be? Who is the okay? So two questions: Who is the best person for the job right now, and who's going to get it? Because I think those are two different questions. At the moment. I would have to say, I mean, should probably point out that nominations haven't quite opened yet. People no. haven't all chucked their hats into the no. rain. Rebecca Longbelly hasn't formally declared that she's widely expected to run on a joint ticket with Angela Rayner, be, yeah. the Shadow Education Secretary. Yes, she'd be very, very, I'd be very, very surprised if she didn't. But you know some names like you know Yvette Cooper, um, Ian Lavery. Ah, Ian Lavery. Yeah. Ian He's, he's, you know, they're mulling over things, and there's nothing that you know suggests there may be other names that come forward that people are relatively <laughs> surprised have come forward. Um, it depends, you know, it, it very much depends what's happening at the moment. This early stage, I think, you would expect that Keir Starmer would be the next leader of the Labour Party. Um, he's. There's been polling to suggest this hasn't. Yes. There's a one poll at the time of recording this on the fifth of Jan. He's he's leading on every single um, demographic in the and region of the country at the moment and region of the country. Um, he has. That's a poll of 500 Labour members for the party membership project. I should say yes. about at a Queen Mary Uni. It is also a poll that picked the last. Three Labour leaders. So this there based is based on the there elections. Is, there is so. there is cre- there is credence to this poll. We should we yeah. should give it credence. It is also worth pointing out that as ever, it is very early days. Council hasn't even started and, yet. But you know, you you look at those polls. You look at the slate of candidates. Keir Starmer has been in the shadow cabinet. He is very very clearly. I think always put his relative opposition to the Corbynite Brexit policy on the table. Very pro-Remain. His conference speeches, for example, pro-second referendum. The membership is pro-Remain. 
I don't think well I, I don't think the membership as a whole was particularly happy with Corbyn's Brexit policy, regardless of what their no, views were on him. It just got more to generally. the conference, didn't it, by yes. Jenny Formby's intervention? Yes, and you know, I think the key point is that he's uh, seen as more right wing than Jeremy Corbyn. It'd be difficult not to be, but he'd. Um, because only Clive Lewis is running to the left in this election, and Clive Lewis wants to be more left wing than Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, you know, and like Rebecca Long Bailey's running for continuity, continuity. Um, which is the difficult to say that now is madness. The, 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 yeah, the difficulty her campaign is going to come into is when people go, "We've had the worst election loss since 1935. How would you propose to change things?" And she'd go, Nothing. and. Based on, she did an article for the Guardian where she was talking about progressive patriotism. Mm. Um, didn't really explain what progressive patriotism meant. It says it's, a lot that a lot of the candidates have written for the Guardian as well. well you know, they're, they're writing for a North London, you know, readership there. Effectively, the Guardian is not a widely read broadsheet. Mm. You know, in, in, they're not writing for the Daily Mirror. Let's put it that way. You know. Starmer did, but a lot of the other candidates, Emily Thornbury, kicked off in the Observer, said so to Clive Lewis. Um, it says something about where the Labour Party is now. It's not really a working class party anymore, you could argue. Yeah, the only, the only one, Lisa, Lisa Nandy did um, go to the Wigan Post. And Starmer wrote for the Mirror. Yes. Which is the main left-wing tabloid. And, you know, these... Clive Lewis probably took an advert in the Morning Star knowing him. But this, 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 this is a, uh, I mean, like, deputy leadership election, uh, certain people have uh, written for the... The tri- Tribune launch there. I think that's going to be more significant because I think whoever the deputy is, think about the tension between um, Corbyn and Watson. The deputy leader also, you know, could potentially be a leader in waiting. Angela Rayner could be running for deputy leader as a stepping stone to be leader in 2024. I, I, I think. I would expect, in many respects, uh, there was the attempted coup on uh, Tom Watson. Which failed because it was quite clearly well, an a, a, a attempt to remove Tom Watson. Yeah. But I don't actually think the argument for getting rid of the deputy leadership was particularly weak. One. I mean, what is the point of a deputy leader really? And you know, at the end of the day, whenever Jeremy Corbyn spoke, wasn't speaking in the Houses of Parliament. Watson wasn't there, was he? No, it was Emily Thornbury that tended to stand in for it. And then Rebecca Long Bailey. And Rebecca Long Bailey. And you kind of go, why shouldn't it be somebody who's trusted by the leader of the party to be the person who stands in for them? And if they're not going to stand in for them, if they're not going to particularly do much about from, you know, particularly if they're of the same wing of the party, you can just kind of think what's the point and that's what Labour needs they need a leadership figure who could be a unifier I mean mm. I keep looking for a past analogy for this and I think we'll, 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 we'll need to move on quickly because we're, we're going to be pushing the half hour mark but the the, the Labour leadership election they, the, let's be honest the, ne- the next Labour leader is not going to be the next Labour Prime Minister they are they have, a, they have to win 124 seats 
to get a majority of them. I, and they need somebody who is more in the vein of Neil Kinnock or Michael Foote, where they're prepared to work with all wings of the party. I mean, Foote put, put everything about party unity. Corbyn wasn't prepared to do that and kept Labour together. Kinnock took a broom to militant tendency. Now, you can't do that to momentum, but unless they put momentum in their box, you know, and say, get on board with this party or get out, then there's going to be, Labour's always going to have this dual personality problem. I, in many respects, I think, I don't think it's a lost cause for next election yet. Um, it's too I late. Think, I think a lot possibly depends on the performance of other parties in the meantime. The Tories mainly, I think it's I think a lot of it probably depends on what the Tories do in power. I think a lot of it probably depends on how Brexit, you know, it isn't actually done yet, uh, as much as we're expecting it to be done by the end of January because of the passing majority. But there's, you know, still a trade agreement to do. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that can happen, and I think the key thing for Labour is to focus on having somebody who can fight in five years' time, but can hold Boris Johnson to account and can punish mistakes when they happen. And they always happen. Every party, every prime minister makes mistakes. The key to a good opposition leader is making sure that those mistakes are magnified and capitalised on and that the Prime Minister is weakened significantly by those mistakes when they happen. And if Labour picks somebody who is unable to do that properly... Rebecca they, Bailey? I, I, I have serious doubts about it. Yeah. We, will, we, will, we, will, we will see what she does. We wish her well. We wish her well. We, we, we will see what she does in the leadership campaign when she calls. She may not run. She may decide to surprise everyone and not run. She will do. But, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll see what their campaigns, in, uh, you know, what happens in their campaigns at the moment. But I think the, the, the key thing that the Labour Party needs to be looking at is somebody who can beat Boris Johnson in Parliament on a weekly basis. PMQs will take and on a huge have a look again. at the next election and they know their 80 seats. You know, a lot of it may come down to you know weak Lib Dem party and also, a lot of different things. And also take on the party. SNP in Scotland as well. We've got Scottish Labour because without Scotland yes. Labour can't win a majority. Yes. Alright, um, we're going to take a quick diverge now um, to, we don't have to do foreign affairs but I think we have to talk about um, uh, the Suleimani assassination. Yeah. Now we've been talking a lot about the Labour leadership, but that's a Westminster Village story. Um, if, you get a, if you've been living in a cave, hopefully not with the Mujahideen. Uh, this is the assassination of the second most important figure in the Iranian military by a US drone strike on Friday, the third of January. Yes. Is it yeah. And early hours, I think. The early hours, yeah. in retaliation for attacks carried out against the US Embassy in Baghdad and numerous other things. Uh, Suleimani was responsible for uh, new, a network which is behind numerous proxy cells and terrorist groups operating all over the Middle East from... Essentially the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. The Iranian Revolutionary Guard, essentially from Syria to Lebanon to Yemen to Iraq itself, you know, obviously one of the, the players in uh, the fight against Islamic State, but, you know, on Bashar al-Assad's side. Someone who's credited actually with maintaining the war for the Syrian regime as well. So this is a significant regional player, if maybe I hadn't heard yeah. of him beforehand. And Donald Trump was given the list of options uh, by his generals and chose to take out this bad hombre, as the president would say. Yeah. 
which everyone's very nervous now. It's it's certainly, I think, the most risky thing that a US president has done since Vietnam. Yeah. I, I, I would... Can you count, count the invasion of Iraq as well? As well. I think it's up there. I, 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 th I think beyond that, actually. I think There's two full-blown wars in the Middle East, plus the first Gulf War. I think, I think there's very significant differences between Iran and Iraq and uh, there are. Uh, Afghanistan. I mean, I think, I think the key point, if, if, if you, know, you have a look at sort of Middle East and more generally, Iraq is not so much an actual state as an amalgamation of states. Iraq was created in the early part of the 20th century, yes. post-war, you know. By, by the British and the French. From Mesopotamia and other nations, kingdoms. Afghanistan, again, is a collection of nations, really, rather than an actual, you know, it's, it's a form of, you know, the British have fought over it, the Russians have fought over it. It's the sort of place where nobody's ever actually properly controlled it. It's it's always been on the, you know, it's not had that proper national identity. Iran, like, going back to the days of Persia, going yeah. back to, you, you can, you can, you can, tra identity, you can yeah. trace the national identity of, of Iran, the same with Syria, going back to well, yeah. before ancient Greece. Yeah. And it's, it is, I, it is very difficult to see that a country that has had 40 years of anti-American feeling, um, of which is shared across the board, it should be said, it's, it's not the moderates are really, really pro-US and the hardliners are anti. No. Everybody is anti-US. The moderates just don't like the hardliners and the, the hardliners don't the like the moderates. The great Satan, they call it? Right? Yes. And, you know, the, the great Satan with its two, um, you know, uh, uh, its two ringleaders as they see it, uh, the UK and Israel. And the UK has, again, we are our own complicated history with yeah. Iran, thanks to the Anglo-Persian oil company as well. Yeah. So and we, we hardly have a click on The Shah, and, you know... And more recently, Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe as well, you know... There's so many complications. We can't um, cover them more than this point. But yes. I, I, suffice, suffice to say, it's, 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 it's a bad idea for Donald Trump to kill the second most senior military leader. It's like the Iranian Revolutionary Guards, if you, they're, they're un, an unofficial armed force, but nobody's quite sure about the membership, but most people agree that it's probably the biggest army in the world in terms of members, you know, in terms of just sheer numbers. Um, if and you know assassinating the head of it, he's he, he was you know he was he was an awful man who was working for regional dominance for Iran and he was causing a lot of causing issues. Hundreds of thousands of people. But there's but it doesn't mean just about in assassinating him the way. No, they but there's a few alarm bells. He's he's not the head of a jihadist movement or a fundamentalist cult or something like no. that. It, He's a regional power broker. Yeah, he's, he's, he's essentially a member of their government, and now he's dead, he'll be replaced by somebody else who'll do the same thing. Yeah. So I don't think it actually achieves these You martyr him, I think. Yes. You martyr him. The second thing is by martyring them, I think that bolsters the, you know, the hardliners will now be going, you see what we mean. Internally, I think I think it removes like there were protests in the street in Tehran. You know, there were, there have been people protesting over the state of the economy in Iran. 
deep social problems there as well. And instead of allowing these things to develop, and Iran was lashing out to cover the fact of their poor economy, instead of allowing these things to develop like a normal Western leader would, instead they've done something to antagonise that I think damages their aims in the region. Mm. And there's almost certainly going to be some sort of reprisal attack. And it'll be... Iran has so many options for what it could do that, I mean, it could attack any of their allies in the Middle East. It could blockade um, the Straits of Horus and stop, stop the oil production for about half the world. They attack oil tankers last year, apparently. Yeah, they, they, I mean, last year, before they had as much of a reason to do it as they did now, they um, attacked the oil refinery in Saudi Arabia. It, this feels like a step up, because we've, we've got, they've, been, they've been targeting of assets, military assets or certain sites. This is the first high-profile assassination, you know. Now, obviously, attacks on the embassy in Baghdad—that's as a symbolic thing. But this is, you know, this is the kind of thing we saw on the, you know, things like the Cold War, you know, specific assassination of certain key figures, you know, Soviet figures around the world by the US, or you know, you know, installing, you know, puppet regimes. This kind of foreign policy. Only the US is capable of launching this kind of attack at short notice, you know. This is not a fair. Not that we say it's fair fight, but this isn't an equally matched fight here. You know, if, if you know that line from the West Wing, I always think about, you know, when Leo says to the president, you know, you were the only superpower if you could blow them off the face of the earth if you wanted to. It's the only superpower has to exercise its power responsibly, and this to me does not feel like a responsible because American lives are only more endangered by this, not safer no. as a result. I mean, like, it should be like there's, there's, there's a few things with Iran, they have carried out political assassinations in places like Germany, yeah. um, Argentina. Um, Last year, there was a sleeper agent for Iran that was arrested for preparing terrorist attacks in New York. So, I mean, no, countries yeah, this, don't. This, this not, isn't a country, fluffy, funny fight. They, 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 I think for a lot of the time, the two country, the two countries, you know, Saudi Arabia and Iran, for the you know, partly because of the religious Shia Sunni. Uh, divide, which we won't go into. No, <laughs> way too complicated. And then um, this is Islamic history and Middle Eastern history from uni coming back into play here. Yeah, and you know they're two regional powers. They are about Iran. Iran sells oil to China. Iran supports Russia's stance in Syria. Which is a major uh, regional disruption. Last year they which were Trump is spending to anyway. Yeah, I mean last year. Russia, China, and Iran were doing um, war games exercises in the Persian Gulf, and I, I, I yeah, it's the idea, the idea that um, the U.S. can defeat Iran in war, I think, is or justify this beyond making Donald Trump look like I mean, a strong man. They're going to go into a country that doesn't want them there. There's not going to be a groundswell of people that are going to celebrate that the liberators of the US are going to come in. It's not going to be the case. Trump won't put boots on the ground. He's in no. an election year. He's not that brave. So he's taken this step without being prepared to follow through with Ray Trump. If he wants to escalate tension, he could do. He shouldn't do, but he could do. He's, he's treating it very much like the, um, the way that he dealt, tried to deal with North Korea. And same as Syria as well. North Korea was very different in that the Chinese were also putting pressure on North Korea. 
to stop doing what there they were doing. No one, there was no other major party Whereas at play here. In this case, China's not putting pressure on them and Russia is encouraging Iran to do this. And it's, it's very, very risky to a country that has been doing this but trying to be doing it on the sly. Um, most probably Iran was willing to wait and see what happened in the 2020 uh, elections in the US. Because they might have the nuclear deal could have been revived, if Trump wins yes. the second term he's dead. But I think Iran, I don't think Iran wants a full out conflict, but I think it wants to entangle the US in a conflict in order to push them out of well, the they, Iraq they've and more, Syria. They've got more fingers in more pies than the US does, because it's their region, it's their backyard. Yes. I, I think it's a, a catastrophic error and it will cost more American it's, lives than we've saved. Yes, to be honest here. and we can just only just from sheer, just from that dimension. You know. We can only wait. I mean, there's there's so many things that can go horribly wrong. I mean, like you know, if Hezbollah starts firing rockets over into Israel, and Israel reacts, and Israel decides to take action itself. Um, this is the president who ran, by the way, on a promise to sort out the Middle East and peace problem as well. And Dr. Yes. Zaghari made things worse. Yeah. I think we'll have to move on for next week. I think what we'll, have to, we'll probably do is come back to this maybe at the end of the month because we'll uh, know... If, if, if World War Three hasn't we're begun by then. I, mean, I promise you, if we're sitting in the irradiated remains of central London, we'll come back to this pub and Liam trying to tap a cask of beer and we'll have to fight over it for the last remaining scraps of food. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think we'll have to leave it there, but if you're more interested in this, uh, is there anything you can recommend that people read and check it out? Any journalists that you think are particularly good I mean, for covering Middle Eastern affairs? You know, I would, I would say with these things, always read widely. Yeah. A lot of the newspaper articles are actually been very, very good. Yeah. Uh, there's a few good articles in New Yorker. New Yorker, um, especially. Economist as well, we can recommend. New York Times. Um, the, the Guardian has done a, a couple of good articles as well, uh, as much as you, uh, as, as as much as some of the articles have been maybe slightly off, I think. But um, they uh, labour leadership pictures mainly. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, and who knows? Maybe maybe the election of Rebecca Long Bailey as Labour leader will save us all from uh, save us all from the irradiated future. I'm I'm, us all. I'm 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 looking forward to the leasing on the era. <laughs> <laughs> she is Liam's favourite pinup for Labour leader. All right. Anyway, Liam, thank you very much for joining me. As always, no problem at all. We have no not too much to go through in the space of time. Um, as ever, please do check out the Groucho Tendency www.thegroucho.co.uk. Uh, also check out our friends over at Broccoli Content. I did their debut episode of Your Broccoli Weekly. Uh, it's dropped on New Year's Day, so I'll tweet the link for that out with this. And if you have any questions about the uh, assassination, this is for you, Sam Webb. Thank you for getting in touch with it. Uh, please do um, get in touch. Until then, uh, until next time, I've been Mike Indian, and thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.